Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today, my friend, my co-host, and Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword, as well as Bleacher Reports, Dan Favale. How you doing, Dan? I am doing spectacular. How are you guys doing? And I'm great. Draft season is approaching very quickly. Corey, how you doing, man? Doing great. We got an <laughs> A-lister on today, so <laughs> can't be ever too disappointed in that. All right, got a... Gotta have the ups and downs after taking that 2KL yesterday. Yeah, well, I didn't know the computer was going to put Frank <laughs> Kaminsky into my rotation, so that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that definitely occurred. Not sure what that was about. Uh, with that said, gentlemen, we know that the Cleveland Cavaliers just hosted a bevy of draft picks to kick off some of the uh, workout sessions that they have. And of that bunch, we heard names such as Malachi Branham, EJ Liddell, Tari Eason, I believe, was among that. They really love Daylon Terry. So, Dan, I'm going to hand this first question off to you, man. If you are looking from a general management standpoint for the Cavaliers and you're just looking at the list of draft prospects, who would be the four to five best picks that you think would fit the, what Cleveland currently has going on right now? Yeah, uh, four to five. I think if you look further up, um, guys who might not fall to them, like a Dyson Daniels or a Benedict Matherin, would be ideal. And it feels like they're going to go like between three and five spots before Cleveland gets on the board. So would you be able to figure out a way to move up? I also like the idea of uh, Usman Jang. Uh, he seems like someone just looking at his size – um, six nine, who would fit a lot of what they're doing on defense, and you should hopefully be able to get enough um, offensive spacing out of him on the wings. And I think the one guy that I've not necessarily really circled for them, but would be really intriguing if you sort of buy into the um, the hype that's been generated around him. But Malachi Brinham, as you already mentioned, just someone who, in theory, can run some pick and roll while also hitting a bunch of difficult shots and and spacing the floor. I know there are a lot of people I trust that don't necessarily buy into his, it feels like sort of a last minute rise up the boards. But when you look at the archetype of player, he could become uh, maybe he's a little bit smaller than you would want on the wings, but overall it seems like he would bring a lot of what Cleveland's rotation is, is missing at least when you're projecting forward. 
Yeah, he's certainly a guy up there that I would feel comfortable taking if he's um, still on the board. We're getting a lot of indication uh, recently that he may be gone before Cleveland goes up to the podium. So we'll have to see in regards to that. Corey, would you feel okay if the Cavs took Malachi Branham over the likes of somebody like Terry Eason or Ochai Baji? Uh, me personally, no, not necessarily. I like players. I think with Branham, I kind of know what we're going to get. I want us to kind of take that big swing. I've decided that's like the mentality I want for this team going into the draft because, you know, front of the pod, Justin Rowan always says that this is like a gift that the Cavs have this ability to like take this pick with the roster that they have. And I've honestly like adopted his mindset. I've, I've been brainwashed by Justin's positivity and I just truly feel like this, this really should be us taking a swing. I feel like Branham isn't exactly what this team needs in order to take the next step up. I feel like, return of Colin Sexton could easily do what they is. I assume they want from Branham overall. And if Karis LeVert hits too, then Branham kind of gets buried further down on the roster. I also feel like Tari Eason fills a gap that I don't feel like we necessarily have. Dang even would fill a gap. I don't think we necessarily have. I'm, I really just want us to draft like a more of a wing than I want us to draft more of a scoring guard overall. So I, I kind of just, I don't know. I don't I don't personally view Branham as a swing type player. So I'm I'm personally out on him. <laughs> uh opinion on him seems to be very split among, you know, Cavs Twitter and just really social media in general. Uh one guy that we've heard has pretty much risen just out of nowhere in regards to uh prospects because this is a guy who many thought would be going towards the beginning of the second round is Dalen Terry, man. And if anybody out there that was uh, that's watching right now listen to today's edition of the Chase Down, they heard from Chris Fedor himself <laughs> that Dalen Terry could potentially be in the mix at 14. Uh, I got to say, I love Dalen Terry, but that to me seems like a huge reach. So I'm hoping that's not the case. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's a lot of smoke. I think at this point of the season, like of the pre-draft season, a lot of teams are throwing names out there to get other teams to just throw away assets to move up. And I feel like at this point, if Dale and Terry got taken, in my personal opinion, with no resource, no sources plugged or anything, if he got taken in the top 20, I would be floored. Would you really? Like You yeah. would think it would be that much of a meteoric rise just to snag him at 14 over yeah. somebody like Jalen Williams even? Yeah, I just feel like no slight to Terry overall. I just feel like he's a little more raw than I would expect a player to be going into that. I don't like I know Dang's also raw. I know there's other players like uh, Jovich that are also raw that are supposed to go higher and uh, Jalen Williams also. But uh, yeah, like even the Jalen Williams comparison, I would be I would be shocked if Jalen Williams was taken after Dalen Terry. Like, I just don't see a world in which that really happens. <laughs> That's completely fair. I mean, you just, uh, as you said earlier in regards to Justin's mindset on this, I mean, this is somewhere where I don't think anybody thought Cleveland would be, uh, you know, considering how most of last season went. And so this, this is almost a gift. Um, you know, I, I feel much better about having that 14th pick now than I did when the season first ended. Uh, so I'm just like, make this pick. Doesn't have to be anything. You do not have to take a huge swing. You can just make you can you can get a guy who's plug and play that'll work, but I trust Kobe Altman either way. We'll see how these things uh, tend to work out. But one thing, and Dan, I kind of want to get your opinion on this. That I'm I'm starting to question 
is whether or not this Cleveland team will feature the services of one Colin Sexton next season. And so I'm not sure if you guys saw the video earlier of him uh, putting up his first dunk in some time, apparently. But he looks to be getting closer to 100 percent. I think he'll be ready by the start of next season. Um, You know, fingers crossed. But with that said, I just do not know if that will be in Cleveland. So, Dan, I'm going to throw this question off to you, man, because I know that uh, <laughs> from time to time, me and Corey have seen some of these Bleacher Report articles. And I think you you actually wrote one uh, recently in regards to some of the most of the teams that are not in the playoffs. I think every team that's not in the playoffs and Cleveland was listed on there. And we know that uh, this team is no stranger to trade rumors regarding Colin Sexton and Kevin Love, you know, guys like that. But if you had to necessarily list a annual value for Colin Sexton, if you if you were playing the role of GM, what would you be comfortable with offering Colin Sexton at this point in time? I think somewhere in the 15 to 17 million range would be would be fair and something that you can look at where you have Darius Garland, you have Karis LeVert. If you do decide to go like the self-creation route in the draft at 14, that's a Colin Sexton contract that you can then move later if he doesn't fit into the larger context of your team. I also do think he's coming off of a major injury, which matters, but I do think that his previous season was was really underrated and people are constantly focusing on what he can't do. And what he can't do, the Cavs actually don't need him to do anymore. Like, yeah, you want to see more consistent on-ball defense, especially if you're going to play him alongside Darius Garland and, and if you throw Karis LeVert in there. But as a scorer, um, the fact that he's not necessarily hitting all these difficult off-the-dribble jumpers, it works in favor of the Cavs because he was showing that he can hit those looks off the catcher, that he can put pressure on defenses with his drives. I think that his passing um, in the previous two seasons later in the year, they both got better. And when people come out and say, oh, well, he's not worth, you know, I've seen people throw around that he should be getting like non-taxpayers mid-level exception money, which is like 10 point something million dollars a year. That's just not going to happen because scoring is so important in the NBA. And this is someone who showed that he could do it really efficiently on a team that was worse than it was this season. And I actually think that that's a vote in his favor because it would have taken time to get acclimated to sort of the, the new pecking order in Cleveland or just the way that they changed up their team. And when you look at how his offense was coming in 2020 2021 now i actually think that a lot of those methods would fit into what these current cavaliers are doing now and knowing that you also can't just let him walk um if a team comes in with an offer sheet and there are so few that have a cap space to do so even if it's around 18 million like he's not getting that max offer he's not getting that near max offer i'd be floored if there's a team out there even if the even if it's the pistons that are willing to go into the the 20s for him and if you're if you're hovering around that number i'm more of the mind of pre-sign him, back to the offer, whatever it is, and then just figure out the rest later. Yeah, if you have to flip them later on, as I think you stated earlier, that's certainly something that you would be able to do. You know the guy's going to have trade value um, if it if it has to go that route. So I'm of that mindset too. And we know, uh, Corey, we often say this, and that's that um, and with a small market team like Cleveland, you often pay to keep talent in town. Um, for Sexton, I think uh, – 10 full games and, you know, a half a game is not nearly enough time to place judgment upon just how well he fits with this new, you know, the the new roster constructed around him. So, um, you know, the pecking order obviously has changed and we saw that we saw that play out earlier in the season, even before he got hurt. But um, I just think that 
guy like him, you definitely see the value there. You see the need for scoring that he brings to the table. It was clearly evident in those playing games. And nobody that watched those playing games was thinking, hmm, we can't use Colin Sexton right now. <laughs> I would be flabbergasted. I would love to hear somebody come come on the show and tell me why exactly um, this this thing necessarily wouldn't work out. You know, at least if you can get him on a reasonable contract. I I get the concerns with the size, uh, the backcourt tandem between him and Garland, but to me, uh, scores like him just do not come. You know, every day it just it's just something that you have to try and maximize his value on. And I think they will. I'm just, uh, just in, in recent news, I'm just kind of feeling like I, I really do not know what's going to happen. I, I'm hoping for the best. I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess. But Corey, what are your thoughts on this, man? I feel like the more news that comes out about all these teams being interested is just a way. So the cat, like, they just want to pull more money out of the Cavs pockets. Cause I think we, I feel, I personally feel like with every amount of smoke that's coming out, it has to be some of it from Sexton's camp, trying to get the Cavs to offer more money than what they're already offering. Cause we already knew they didn't really like the money being set last year when it was 20 million. Around it's Rich there. Paul himself. Rich Paul's leaking all this stuff. <laughs> Rich Paul should focus on Adele. He has more, he has bigger things to fry right now than Colin Sexton making two million extra a year. I mean, at the end of the day, I think Colin Sexton gets a really bad rap. I feel like because, you know, everyone's favorite thing to do when a player scores a lot of points on a losing team is to just label it empty calories, pretty much. And s- sometimes that is true. Other times it isn't. I mean, you just look at Colin Sexton. It's efficient shooting. It's not like he's throwing up like 23 plus shots a game and like is shooting low efficient numbers. Colin Sexton was scoring very efficiently. Yes, the Cavs were a, ba- a basement dweller for a lot of the time that he was scoring efficiently. But we, like I said last episode, he was also flirting with being a potential all-star in Atlanta last year. You don't do that if you also consider him to be a empty calorie player. And the Cavs definitely missed his scoring punch, even though they were playing well throughout the year. That was more because of the identity of their defense, I personally think, than Colin Sexton being absent from the team. And in the playoffs, when you need more scorers on the floor than not, as we're seeing in this finals right now, if like when the minute the step Curry steps off the floor, everyone's like, all right, well, someone has to step up here. And it was kind of the same thing for the Cavs in like a smaller sense in those two playing games. When Darius Garland was off the floor, the Cavs offense, everyone was looking at each other being like, who's going to shoot and step up? And we frankly just didn't have the shooters to match with either Brooklyn or Atlanta. That's completely fair. I mean, I think that anybody who has, you know, some sort of sense in regards to this matter would probably feel along the lines of the same way. You know, we know the Cavs are a defensive minded team, but you have to have that ability to score. And guys like that who can break a defense down, they they do not come across your team every day. I mean, it's just something that you have to try and keep in town when you have the ability to. Uh, but. I kind of want to talk about some other guys here that we have on the roster. And so my next question for you, Dan, is consisting of the group, you know, if we were to retain Colin Sexton, the group of players consisting of Isaac Okoro, Colin, and Karis LeVert, who would, if Colin was brought back, who do you think would best fit as the starter in that two-guard role? Ooh, uh, I think it would make sense to go with probably Karis or Colin Sexton there. I don't want both of those guys coming off the bench. If I'm Cleveland, you want to stagger those minutes a little bit. I would almost argue in favor of Sexton, just because if we're looking at these two players in Levert and Sexton, which I think is fair because Levert extension eligible now free agent next summer, 
Colin Sexton is better. And I don't think we talked about that. <laughs> yeah. I think that Levert is the better passer and he's bigger, but he's never really done too much on defense. And I think the bigger thing here is he's always really struggled as an off ball scorer, whether it was in Brooklyn or Indy. I think we saw it a little bit with Cleveland. Colin Sexton can work as that off ball scorer. And so maybe you trust Cowers Levert to make plays out of pick and rolls a little bit more. But I think that difference is is really negligible and so if you play sexton with garland it's easier for those two to mesh and then you put karis lavert in a role where it's easier to stagger him from colin sexton and he's going to have just more agency over how the second unit operates i also think maybe i wouldn't say entirely but perhaps that mitigates your need to go out and spend your mid-level exception on a on a point guard because i do think they really just missed you know, Ricky Rubio's connectivity um, yeah, last season after he was injured. And neither Levert nor Colin Sexton is going to provide that. But um, if you're staggering those two minutes, maybe Levert at least allows you as a second unit microwave score and facilitator to f- allocate your best resource this summer, best spending tool in the middle of exception elsewhere. Um, and in regards to Okoro, I know we got to see a lot of that look this season. <laughs> Is there absolutely, uh, absolutely no hope of seeing a DG and Okoro uh, backcourt tandem next season, you think? I wouldn't say no hope, just because if the Cavs decide to lean into that. And look, if, what if Sexton leaves or they trade Levert? Like you could mix and match a little bit differently there. Um, but if you're going to have Levert and Sexton on the same team, I, that's just not the route I would go. And I think you also need... Um, just shooting around that lineup. If you're still going to play bigger, could they decide to not start Larry marketing? And then you're looking at a situation where two of Levert and Sexton and Okoro are starting. I, I honestly don't know if that's something that they would necessarily consider, but I, just unless Okoro is going to get up threes and more volume and he, he did shoot okay for points this season, or unless you're planning on saddling him with more on ball responsibility. And I know uh, JB bigger staff sort of sort of talked about that at the end of this season. I think he talked about at the end of last season too. It's like this <laughs> rite of passage. We need to get Isaac Okoro more touches. It's yeah. just hard when you look at the, the other personnel. And so just from an offensive perspective, knowing that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are going to give you the foundation of a top 10 defense or better when they're just on the court together, I'm going to steer further into what makes sense offensively for Cleveland. And I think if it's between, you can only start one of those three guys, it's going to be Sexton for me. And I would have, I'd probably have Okoro as the the last player on that list. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cora, are you thinking along the same lines here? Yeah, I think it's really tough for Isaac right now because he's so offensively raw in so many skill sets. I mean, particularly his dribble is sometimes just brutal to watch to create separation. And it's going to be hard for him to get those touches as this team really took a massive jump in their development track that we weren't expecting heading into last season. We were thinking this was going to be another rebuilding year, just another time, another year for the young players to continue to develop. And then suddenly this team was flirting with playoff status, which none of us were thinking in the Vegas win percentage or win total was like 26 or something. Yeah. And they, they nearly, almost doubled that. So <laughs> I I just feel like with Isaac, it's going to be so tough for him to continue to grow. So I don't really see a way and like, he's not going to play in summer league. And that would be the way that we tried to develop him further last year. And I frankly was kind of disappointed with the, what we saw in summer league from him. I felt like Mobley flashed more somehow than a player who already played a full year in the NBA and then headed into summer league. Lamar Stevens outshone him in summer league last season as well. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I, I, it's no slight against Isaac. I just like, I think if he was on another team that was at a earlier stage in their development 
and heading like in their uh, cycle, then yeah, it would be a lot easier for him. But between Karras and Colin being more often bringing more to the table offensively than him, I feel like Isaac is going to, is heading more towards that like defensive defensive specialist type role, maybe something like kind of similar to what we see from Derek white, but even Derek white's like a better, a way better ball handler than Isaac Okoro is. Yeah, way further offensively. Uh, and so I'll lean even further into this, and I'll just ask you this. I think I asked you the last time, but I'm going to ask you again. Is there a reality in which if the Cavs do end up selecting a player like Ochai or Malachi that Isaac Okoro could be on the outside looking in in regards to the rotation? I wouldn't be surprised. I th- I, I think Isaac is heading more towards trade chip status than like a, a cementing himself into like the Cavs core heading forward. Not necessarily because he's not the player we were expecting. I think he was always labeled as raw offensively, even in his pre-draft. It was all about potential for him. And I think just because the Cavs need more out of that potential three or two offensively that they want to play, then if, like someone like Okchai will bring that perimeter defense and be able to knock down threes consistently. Like if you took Okchai and put him into that Brooklyn Nets series, hypothetically, you know, he would hit more of the open corner threes and the defense would at least, at least probably have to respect him more overall. I'm not saying like he's a guarantee NBA player, but hypothetically for what the Cavs would draft him for, that's what they would certainly hope for from just him. like hypothetical Dylan Windler, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hypothetical Dylan Windler is the best player in this draft class. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You can do damage with him on 2K. Dan, who would you consider to be the Cavs' current core right now? I think there's Mobley, Garland, and Allen are probably the only players that I just have penciled into there. Um, And when you're going to look to improve your roster, if they're really operating on this accelerated timeline, you have to sort of make tough decisions. And I think that those three are the closest you're going to get to untouchable and Mobley and Garland specifically. I think Jared Allen is right there. He's just, I know he's a monster defensively. I don't think he got enough credit over the past like two years uh, for how much he expanded what he's able to do on the offensive end as well. And so if you're looking at prospective trades, I don't think there's anyone else that I would consider even close to, to off the table for them. And, you know, you guys sort of touched upon this and I talked about it with Justin a little bit and I've talked about it with others since Um, it feels like, Okoro plus number 14 could become a package that maybe they're dangling around the draft or after the draft for either immediate help or if they're a team that's looking to maybe try and climb up the order a little bit. It does seem, just based off me asking people though, that it's going to be really hard to for other teams to view Okoro as like this net positive trade chip at this point. He probably hasn't shown enough offensively. And one of the deals that Justin proposed and then I countered with um, was if it's Okoro and 14 is framework for an OG or a GTJ, how much additional asset equity do you need to attach to that? And the response I got when I posed the people was a crap ton. And so <laughs> I think something that's probably more realistic, I don't know if they want to go this route, but like, you know, Coro and a number 14, maybe that gets you into a Jeremy Grant type discussion if you're including other salary in there. Um, but otherwise like that, that would just be something I'm looking towards because the Cavs are in this situation where they can, they can do a lot of different things with this pick and and with this roster, but I I think just in terms of their core, the three players I consider as no brainer parts of their future are Mobley, Garland, and, and Allen. That's completely fair. All righty. So in same line of thought with that question, I got a tough one for you guys. A scenario, just kind of have a little fun here. So Corey, I'll start with you, man. 
if the NBA was creating an expansion team and you could only protect one of these guys, <laughs> one of these Cavaliers, who would it be and why? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm really obviously just between Mobley and Garland here. but No, no Allen? No Allen Love? I mean, if we're going for ceiling, I feel like Allen's the closest to his ceiling of those three. Like, I don't think there's much room for Allen to grow further. No slight to Jared. He's an all-star. So all-star ceiling is not bad. I, I'll point out that I thought it, it was crazy to me how, based upon the initial projections for the all-star game, that we all thought Jared was going to be the first Cav in. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> and then Darius turns around and pulls pulls a stunner out. So um, go ahead, man. Go ahead and finish up. I I feel like... At the end of the day, I'd probably pick Garland because if I'm learning anything from these playoffs, it's that scores really do just turn the tables for teams. I mean, the lifeblood of this is like such an outlandish example, but the Warriors are literally carried offensively right now by Steph Curry. I'm not saying Garland, Steph Curry, but as we've seen, the way to get to the playoffs is to have a score that separates himself from the pack. And in my opinion, I feel like Garland does the most with that right now. And Mobley obviously is a better two-way player. He could easily develop into the best offensive player on this team with years down the road, but we we don't know what that looks right now. And defensively, he's already one of the best defensive bigs in the NBA. So I don't know. I feel like I could talk myself into either, but I'll just say <laughs> Garland for right now after I just rambled for like two minutes. Hey, man, that's what we're here for. And Dan... Who would you uh, uh, protect? I would probably protect Evan Mobley. I think it's really a testament to how much Darius Garland has improved that this question isn't easy. But I look at Mobley, and like, there's the defense. He's just, he is everywhere. And he's he's an anomaly, not even for his position. He's just, he's a defensive anomaly. Maybe I'm waiting too much of like the idea of what he could be offensively. Um, but when you watch him, there's like a combination when you look at his body movement and mechanics of like, well, what if you rolled aspects of, KG, KD, and Bam Adebayo all into one player. And I'm not saying he would be better than all those guys combined, but there's like more face-up juice there than we've seen from Bam. Um, there's better handles, it feels like, than we've seen from a, a KG. And when you look at some of the shots he's taken or just his size, like if his jumper is going to come along, this is someone who can rise up and has had at points, had the fluidity to just get looks off over everyone. I think what's really hard to project here is we just didn't see him in a role where he was a primary engine for the, for the Cavs offense. Um, and, and his touches were even sort of butchered in the middle of the season with the, um, you know, just between Colin Sexton getting injured, Rubio gets injured, but then you bring in Karis LeVert, Darius Garland's rise. I would love to see him in an even more prominent offensive role. I think just knowing what we know about him on defense to where I don't think Darius Garland's ever going to be the best offensive player in the NBA. There's already a world in which Evan Mobley might have been the best defensive player in the NBA last season um, in the eyes of some people, and that matters a great deal to me as well. Uh, that's completely fair. So with him, I'm going to ask you this question as well. Uh, we did get to see him operate as the starting center uh, for a stretch of games. How did you think he fared in that role? Um it felt like there was a lot left to be desired there. I don't know if it's because he's so used to uh, covering like air territory so far away from the basket or if he might need to get just a hair stronger. Um, you're also holding him to the bar of Jared Allen, who is just like a human <laughs> eclipse. Um, so, But I think when you look at him, that's a role that I don't know that he ever has to assume 
but it's something when you look at just his size and if he does get a little stronger and just knowing how smart he is, when you look at the decisions that he's made on the perimeter as a defender, as a rookie already, um, that I would argue, if you told me there's um, a, a reality in which he's just the best center in the NBA at some point, I, I wouldn't push back. I think he's provided them with flexibility. I'm not sure they even understood that they have to where he doesn't need to play that role, though. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, and I think, Corey, you've said this a lot, him being able to act as more of a free safety, kind of roam around on the defense, be a bit more mobile. And we know one of the highly touted um, skills that he provides, you know, even coming in from USC, was the fact that he can switch and switch quite well. A guy who can bounce out to the perimeter and, you know, try and shut guys down out there. I don't think he's going to be Marcus Smart out there, Draymond Green level or anything like that, but he's definitely has the skill set to be such an impact defender, whether it be in the post or out uh, on the outside. So I think that they would be doing him a disservice if they tried to convert him to the center position, especially when you have Jared Allen on the roster, um, unless you were to move him. But I still don't see that. I still do not see that being like the best best thing for them to do. I just think this what they have in place right now it works. Um, you know the and I think Lowry Markin being you know within the starting lineup is very. We know it's an unconventional look. I don't know if that is like the long term look of what they're going to go with. Um, but it's certainly hard for teams to try and account for. So uh, and, and speaking of Lowry Markin, I just want to ask you this as well. Do you think that he is a long-term piece for Cleveland? Me personally, I do not. I mean, he's young enough to be. And as someone who slammed their decision when it first came out (laughs) that they were going to start him at the three, uh, he held up way better defensively than I, I ever would have imagined. You want someone much better in that three spot long-term, I think. And when like a true wing, yeah, like a true, even like someone you could call a power wing. And like, I still view marketing uh, on offense specifically as more of a big than a wing. And I would say the same on defense. It's just, they play matchups really well with him. But again, I could not believe how well he fared on the perimeter defensively last season. Uh, I also think when you look at their books right now, just knowing that Kevin loves in the last year of his deal, Levert's in the last year of his deal, you don't know what's necessarily going to happen with Sexton. Like you run out of the salary matching fodder for them quickly and so if there if there's a move like a semi-substantial move that's going to be made over the next year or two it feels like it almost has to involve larry marketing salary and he can sort of be peddled at this player where it's he's going to help you um he can still space the floor for you he's now shown that he can play a little bit better defensively at the three than i think a lot of other teams thought and it's just money where it's okay he makes enough to where the player you're bringing back or the deal you're talking about is substantial but 16 17 million dollars a year that's not all that much overall. Teams can stomach that, especially when it's still someone who skews. He just finished his age 24 season, so he skews younger than not and sort of fits any timeline. I don't think he's by any stretch their best trade asset. And mm-hmm. Right now, though, it feels like he's their combination of best slash most likely salary matching tool. I think that's a fair point. Corey, what do you think about that? Well, I had a question for Dan. It's um, if do you think other t- executives in the league and teams believe that Laurie Markin's defense improved, or do you think they think that the combination of Allen and Mobley helped cover a lot of Markin's flaws? Because I think it's like pretty easy to watch the film and think that when you see Markin and play defense on the perimeter, that yeah, he does a good job of being there to put the hand in the face. But the minute that the defender goes, it's like still very easy to go past Laurie Markin and off the dribble because he is a, he's playing people way more like 
fast footed than he is. Yeah. So I thought he did a, at least relative to what I was expecting, they were able, like I said, to play around with matchups to where he was on sort of slower perimeter players and more stationary ones where it didn't feel like he was getting beat as egregiously when they put the ball on the floor. I think probably look, Evan Mobley's a luxury that no other team has. Um, it's not groundbreaking though, to have like a really good big behind you making the job on everyone else easier. Utah's built an entire era of defense around that very, very concept. So I don't think, executives look at him oh we're going to acquire him as a three but if you start getting into the conversation of like oh if he is playing more of a four and that makes it even easier i would argue to or just as easy because mobley's on everybody to find the matchups and cater to them that's at least someone we can get away with um where he's not going to torpedo our defense and i don't think that was the perception of him at least as far as i know when when he was in chicago and that roster underwent like some of the most senseless like renovations (laughs) while while he was there at different points but I think that's helped him a ton. What I think would probably help him even more, and I don't know that we saw enough of it last season, is there still just feels like there's more to explore with his floor game on offense. And that can be a deciding factor when you're looking at this player who has another three years left on his deal. Um, That might determine his trade value a little bit more. But I just think what he did defensively, even if it was in a favorable position, at least the Cavaliers provided you with a blueprint to how to use Larry Market ineffectively. I certainly think they did. I think he really has, uh, you know, regarding how anybody felt prior to that trade. And I think uh, a lot of people, there were people on both sides of the fence here. But I think the biggest thought thought process behind that was the decision to start him in the first place. I think that's where most people were dumbfounded. Like three seven-footers, a guy who probably should not be uh, starting at the three was, was lined up out there and it worked. It's crazy. Um, you know, we, we, we thought JB looked like a mad genius to begin the season with how, uh, things were shaken out there uh, yeah, no, for a I, long stretch. I remember when I wrote the article for fear, the sword about that trade deal, I was just dumbfounded that we traded our best defensive player at the you were time. Fuming, huh? <laughs> I was extremely aggravated. Cause like Dan said, when he was in Chicago, his defense was atrocious and he would get bullied in all aspects defensively. He was probably one of the weakest seven footers I've ever seen in post play. He would just get like, he it looked like a guard was going like he was posting up against guards also offensively. He just showed zero aggression. And then this year he became way more aggressive offensively and he had a lot more push to him defensively that I just wasn't expecting. So I was very pleasantly surprised with the way that that trade turned out because I was very fearful and he was very injury prone in Chicago as well. So overall he, he really has improved in a lot of aspects and talk about turning around trade value. He's definitely done a good job about that. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. I, I would like to think so. And so I kind of want to turn the uh, turn the attention towards free agency right now. And Dan, I'll go to you first. Is there one particular free agent move you think the Cavs could make to help them stay out of this lottery range and into next season? I mean, if they can add like a wing who shoots for them and not that it doesn't matter who, um, but if they can add someone like that with their mid-level exception, I think it does just a ton for their roster. I know one of the names that's been bandied about, I think the most is like a Gary Harris who quietly had a bounce back year in Orlando. I know he's on the smaller end, but the Cavs have the luxury of size already on the front line and he's not particularly long, but he does a good job of getting into really ones and twos, but also some threes. And I think the other name to that would be interesting to watch. I'm not sure he was a good enough shooter this season, but it, it feels like a rickety shooting and it depends on how cheap his incumbent team is going to be. 
Uh, Pat Connaughton would be a very interesting name for them as someone who can line up at at both of the wing spots, hit enough of his threes this season, gives you some even just, he holds his own defensively, but it gives you some downhill juice away from the ball on offense. I just don't know. He's a player option. What his market is going to be. Uh, the Cavs should be able to have access to the bigger MLE, even if they're bringing back Colin Sexton. I think that's enough to put him, uh, put them within his range. I'm just curious as to how Milwaukee values him because he was just, with the way what they did their roster this season and some of the injuries they dealt with, he became mission critical to what they were doing. Yeah, I mean those those would be some great additions. I'd love to see Gary Harris and Wine and Gold. <laughs> uh, and in regards to Pat Connaughton, man, he he has had some highlight real dunks over the years too. So he'd bring some uh, some juice to Cleveland. Corey, who would be your number one free agent? Uh, I was kind of between someone like Nick Batum. Or Kyle Anderson. Now, Kyle Anderson wouldn't really fulfill any shooting woes, but he would. He, as you see in Memphis, he's definitely like an impact player. He's one of those guys that's like a plus or minus fiend. Like he's not going to check off the box score necessarily in a lot of ways, but he's just a solid veteran presence. Nick Batum is more going to fulfill that shooting because once he kind of switched his release to that insanely quick catch and shoot where he doesn't even pull it back down. He just kind of catches it and just releases it. His numbers. He's also just such an impact player for those Clipper teams. I mean, the Clippers obviously were a team riddled with injuries throughout the whole year. Nick Batum was one of their more solid players throughout the entire season. I also, I, I listened to Dan's podcast where he had Justin on and he, I, I agree with him. Pat Connaughton would bring a lot to the table. I guess my main question with Pat Connaughton though, is I think, as we saw with Milwaukee in the postseason, like once Middleton went down, it was like do or die in terms of talent. And Connaughton was like instantly one of their most important players. So, and they already lock, are supposedly going to lock Bobby Portis back up. So I'm wondering if they're just going to try to bring the band back for another year. And I feel like the offer of Milwaukee, even if it's less money overall, I think he would definitely probably choose going back for another title run with Milwaukee than with a chance of making the playoffs with the Cavs. <laughs> a chance? Just a chance? You don't think this team is a lock to make the playoffs next season, Corey? I think... Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I didn't think they were going to make it last year. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Dan, uh, trade concept here. I know we, we keep hearing this name kind of being floated out there, and that is Mike Conley, if he is to become available with the everything that's going on with Utah right now. Would it make sense for Cleveland to try and throw an offer in there for Mike Conley Jr.? Yeah, for sure. I think because he's had two like not great postseasons or at least moments that people are going to remember over the past two postseasons that he would probably want to take back, he's just been devalued. He was really good for the Jazz this year, and he provides you with awesome game management. Um, he is still, you know, for his size and his age, he's a better defender than I think that he he should be. And he's not someone who necessarily needs the ball in his hands. He does still have some of that in-between game, though. I don't know that I would love the idea of like, well, how are you going to use him? Because you're looking at his price point, and that's someone that you think you should start, but playing him and Darius Garland makes you really small uh, in the backcourt. Uh, if it's not, I would more- think he would be like in that Ricky Rubio role, and you would. I think you would have to give up somebody like Harris to get him. Um, so that, I guess that opens up minutes there, but I, it would definitely, to me, would be like a Rubio type of role. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I'd be curious to see like how he feels about coming off the bench because he's like Ricky Rubio was in a different phase of his career when he did it. But if you don't have to give up, if he's viewed as this net negative contract, because I think he has that huge guarantee 
um, the season after next season, uh, or par- huge partial guarantee, excuse me, uh, that's definitely something I, I would look at trying to do. And look, there's uh, he's a better pl- – I think the best way to frame it is he's a better player than Karis LeVert is right now. And so that's – if you're able – if that's the swap you're talking about, or again, if you're just able to get him without giving up any – actual pick equity or that's that's not even someone i'm giving up isaac okoro for at this point to be honest um because you're almost doing utah a favor in this instance depending on what direction they're they're traveling that that's a no-brainer move to me if you're cleveland Corey, i know we've talked about this uh, a few different times now has your uh point of view changed in regards to that i think the thing that's changed with me with mike conley is that when i look back at Utah's offense with him in the past few seasons. I think it's hard for him to kind of play in the way that he did in Memphis when he has a player like Donovan Mitchell who requires the ball so much and takes it out of Mike Conley's hands. Mike Conley, in my opinion, has never been one of those players that thrives in off ball. He kind of needs to be the maestro of the offense and just need to be the connective tissue. And between him and Marcus Saul, they were basically the hubs of that Grizzlies offense for many years. And they were, it's harder for, uh, it's easier for a combination of Conley and Gasol to play together than it was for any combination of Conley and uh, Gobert or Conley and Mitchell. So I, I, I would think that he would probably play better in that Ricky Rubio role. But like Dan said, we don't know. I don't think Mike Conley thinks he's at the stage in his career where he should be coming off the bench for a team like the Cavs. If it was like a team like the Bucks, maybe I would see like him wanting to do it, but I don't see <laughs> a situation in which Mike Conley is going to want to take a step back at this point in his career, unless Utah's completely blowing it up with which what I think we're they reading might. from them. I really like, think they, they might. might. I mean, with Quinn Snyder gone, the door is completely open. And because Donovan Mitchell, there's rumors already coming out that Donovan Mitchell is not happy. They've already been saying for like four years that Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell don't like each other. So one of those two is probably at the door. And I don't think Mike Conley is going to want to stay in Utah because uh, I hear their fans are great. But, you know, <laughs> if you were picking between those two, you would uh, you would keep Mitchell or Gobert. Who would it be, Corey? Oh, Mitchell, 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> All righty, uh, Dan. I I haven't. I don't think I've heard your opinion on this just yet. But I'm sure you saw the Cavs rebrand. What? Tell me your thoughts on that. Uh, I did not see the Cleveland Cavaliers rebrand. To be to be honest with you. Oh, but, wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> I might have to pull that up here. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but yeah, the total <laughs> rebrand of the team. You know, uh, logos and whatnot, and color scheme is a little bit different. They went with a gold. Um, let's see if I can find that here really quickly. But while we're doing that, while I'm looking for that, uh, another fun game for you guys before we head out of here. Keep trade cut featuring Isaac Coro, Lamar Stevens, and Dean Wade. Corey, I'll go to you first. All right. Well, this is going to be no surprise to anyone, but uh, I'm going to keep uh, Lamar Stevens because I think Lamar Stevens right now is the more serviceable player of the two. I think I'm higher on Lamar Stevens the most. I, I've been more impressed with his gradual climb on both sides of the ball. I mean, he's more of an up and down player offensively than I think Isaac is. But I think when Lamar Stevens is playing at his apex of like talent, he definitely can score. It just stinks for him that his like bread and butter is kind of that mid-range jumper, which is trying to get like weeded out by the league pretty much. He's not like a knockdown three-point shooter, and he's not he doesn't have the best touch on the glass. But overall, I think there's more to his game right now than Isaac. So that's kind of the separator between the two for keeping cut 
or keeping trade between the two of them. And then uh, I, I hate to do this to Dean as we're the official <laughs> Dean Wade podcast, but uh, he's going to be my cut for right now. Cause I think <laughs> no offense to Dean. There's a lot more Dean Wade. Never in the come NBA. On the show now. Yeah. That this is the, this is what, why he's not coming on. It's not that <laughs> he just doesn't want to. <laughs> the guy takes a drive by every episode, Corey, I, but that's become a recurring theme here. Uh, Dan, who would be your uh, keep trade and cut? Uh, I will say, looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers rebrand right now, I find myself instantly missing how prominent the sword used to be featured. A lot of people were saying that, and for people uh, who are viewing this right now, I'll go ahead and throw that up on the screen. But yeah, a lot of people were really, really upset about the lack of the sword and the uh, the, the loss of Navy. Uh, I just literally just had it, and it just appeared on me. Jeez. <laughs> Wow, we're getting political, Mac. Interesting. I know, right? <laughs> I hate it. That's the that's like the worst thing you can do. All righty. So yeah, there we go, right there. The Cavs logo is right there. A little bit of a change up. So Dan, go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, I I don't mind it, but I like things that are sort of off the beaten path. And so to not have those swords, I get what they're trying to do with the, um, you know, really prominently featuring the the wine and gold, I guess. But I am with the people. I I kind of miss the navy too. I've grown to. <laughs> to really like that. And it doesn't seem like too creative here. And I would appreciate them to be like a little bit more outside the box with it. I'm actually, I find it hysterical that this was released <laughs> at the beginning of June and I still haven't, I didn't see it. So I, I don't know that. I think that might say it all about um, the overarching thoughts on it. But did you guys as people who are following the Cavs more closely, did you guys like this? Um, I think uh, when we were giving our initial thoughts on this, I was saying something along the lines of, I, I like the gold. I do. It is very simplistic to me. I feel that it is, it's going to be entirely dependent upon the jerseys, though. Um, these logos, to me, will probably mean uh, not too much until we get to see what the actual jerseys look like and the representation of these. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, the black shield. Uh, again, no no sword Nothing like that included in that. Uh, but everything else, I'm, I'm okay with. Corey? I find that I just really missed the uh, 2000s Cavalier logo. That was probably my all-time favorite one, to go back to the swords reference. But, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Dan. I kind of agree with Mac. I'm, like, kind of lukewarm at this point. I need to see the jerseys in order to really kind of make my final impression like statement on what I think about this rebrand, because I feel like the jerseys kind of sell it at the end of the day. I mean, everyone, I remember like, I feel like the more popular opinion in like the NBA in general for rebrands is they all suck. And then people get used (laughs) to them. (laughs) Like, I just remember when the Clippers specifically made their change and everyone's like, what the hell did they just do to the Clippers logo? Like, this is one of the dumbest things of all time. And now we don't even think about it anymore. And the Kings, they made their rebrand. Everyone's like, what is this? And they just moved on. At the end of the day, I think no one's ever going to be happy with change. And I I, I probably would stand in that camp because I've been angry since 2010 (laughs) that we haven't gone back to the swords. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's really dependent upon the jerseys, man. Like I've seen some mock-ups, some some fan-created jerseys that have been pretty cool. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen them, but... Uh, there are definitely some great concept jerseys out there, but I'm really curious to see what Cleveland actually officially uh, releases in regards to this. And who knows when we're get when we'll get those. 
And with that said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you want to be added to the exclusive it's Cavalier discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send said review to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com. And we will personally invite you. Dan, man, thanks for coming on. And you guys, be sure to check out Dan's podcast, man, as well. He's doing some big things over there. And uh, as much as we like to rag on some of the Bleach Report content, man, I do have to say this. It must be like uh, for you guys who have to come up with some of these trades that you're looking at for a lot of these teams, that must be very difficult uh, to be looking at what they're, uh, what that, what all teams need and what they have to work with. It's difficult. It's also it's a challenging exercise in a good way. And I actually recorded an entire podcast about this. I promise people, even if you hate the trade, no one's doing it on purpose. <laughs> Everyone like, and that's what's I've gotten used to just people getting angry all the time. And so you stop reading the comments and I enjoy trying to come up with all those different deals. Um, it depends on the time of year. Like it's not something that I at least have carte blanche to be like, okay, the trade deadline passed. I'm not going to do this, but leading into the off season of the trade deadline, I do find that a lot of fun because I know it's been sort of frowned upon in recent years, but like player movement and transactions is still sort of at the forefront of what yeah. makes the NBA so special. Especially in today's, you know, day and age player empowerment, guys controlling their own destinies. Uh, it's, no it's one fun reaching free agency anymore, like because of the way extensions are, are set up and how players and agents have approached it. I'm going to sign this deal. I'll get my money and we'll figure out how to get you out of there <laughs> or later that it's just going to, you know, unless something changes in the collective bargaining agreement, uh, the trades are going to be probably even more important. I think we're going to this summer specifically, and we've kind of seen hints of it already. I think the sign in trade is going to just be super in vogue. Yeah, hell, we could see that with Colin Sexton this year, even though we are, you know, we kind of collectively hope that that's not the case. It's certainly something that's becoming more and more prevalent. With that said, make sure you guys check out Heartwood Knox, Dan's podcast, and you guys have a good night. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.